How's your weekend going? Great. It's like every Sunday. It's a mix, isn't it? Some weekends are better than others. Well, hey, I want to welcome you to Portico Church, whether you just checking us out for the first time or you've been here for a long time. Uh, my name's Jason, and it's my privilege as the lead pastor here to get to open up the Word of God with you guys. We're doing that today. We'll be in the book of Joshua, chapter 1, verses 5 through 9, so you can grab your Bible if you have it. If you don't have a Bible with you, uh, we have some blue books in the pews. Those are Bibles. Grab it and open up to Joshua as we get ready. Uh, We started a series last week on what is called deconstruction. And not just deconstruction in general, not just the literary theory concept here, the idea that there are many people today, and I believe it's accelerating, who are deconstructing faith. Why? I don't know. Uh, It could be because we've had the hardest 20 months of our life. It may be because the expectations of how life would go and the way life is actually going in a global sense is just too much to handle. It might be because you've had just a horrible experience in the church. And the more I think about this, the more I pray about this, the more I believe that deconstruction or or jettisoning your faith completely, or most of it, or what would be considered orthodox, is less about the content of your faith, the core essentials of what you believe, and more about the experience of your faith. We talked about that last week. For instance, we will say to ourselves, it's really hard for me to believe that, even though it's in the Bible, because in my experience, it doesn't work that way. It doesn't make sense of my story. And maybe you're here because of that. Maybe you've had an awful experience in the church. But friends, we have got to reclaim this idea that the church is a safe place where you can actually ask a question, where you can ask an honest question and get an honest answer. It's a community of faith wherein we can walk together even when there's doubts, even when there's concerns, even when those concerns lead to questions and conclusions that we would say are outside of orthodoxy. Friends, if we don't have place in our church to walk through that, I don't know where you're going to get it. Well, I do know where you get it. You get it outside the church. You get it on New Google. Hey, friends, maybe you've had an experience wherein the church is a very toxic place for women. What do you do with that? Do we have a place to talk about that? Here's what I know from myself. When I don't see the evidence of God's work in my life or in my circumstances, I lose hope. That hope is really hard to get back. Maybe you've experienced that. I want you to know that is not a modern problem. That is not a problem for 2020. That's a very ancient problem. And we're going to see that. We saw that last week, didn't we? So don't lose heart. We are here to work this out together. And I wanted to, the whole point of this series is to give you some tools where we can walk through this together and you can have maybe an understanding of faith that is living and that is active such that you have the tools to handle this. And you don't have to go hide in some corner and start Googling and finding people that think like you do and say, aha, see, I'm right. 
So let's walk through that together. And maybe you're from a different faith tradition. Maybe you're like, somebody drug you to church today, and I had to come. All right, well, welcome. Love you. Here's what I would ask of you today. This is actually good, because we're going to talk about what faith looks like in the church. Um, Just have the imagination that maybe God wants to speak to you today. That's what God is asking us to do as we open up his word. So what is deconstruction? I just want to define that as we move into that. Uh, It means you are critically looking at the things that you believe, and you're taking out or jettisoning those things which are false and holding on to that which is true. It doesn't sound like a bad thing, but when it comes to faith, it can be very disorienting, terrifying, and scary because many times your experience doesn't line up with what you believe Scripture teaches, and therefore you start to jettison things that are true as well. So are you losing hope, friend? Are you having a hard time seeing God in your life? Are you having a hard time holding on to hope? If you haven't, you're going to. And you need to have the tools to work on that. The church is a good place to do that. So I'm going to give you a little bit of a back story to Joshua. I like staying in the Old Testament because we really believe this is a modern problem. It's not. It's very old. And I want you to watch for three words because we're going to focus on those. One is strength. You've probably heard this before. God calls us to be strong. So watch for that as you read the text. Secondly, watch for the word meditate, because it's very important in how we understand living faith. And lastly, watch for the word courage. In context, these things mean something very, very significant uh, to our faith. And if we don't understand it, it's going to be really, really hard to move forward. Now, Joshua is the sixth book in the Bible, so the first five books of the Bible are about God's promise And Deuteronomy kind of takes us up to the edge of the promised land, and then Joshua, who was Moses' assistant, gets promoted because Moses dies. I guess that's how you get promoted in the Bible. But he takes this on, and his job is to lead Israel into the promised land and to take possession of that land. And so what we're going to read is God actually commissioning Joshua, and he's giving him some very specific information in how he's going to live. And I want you to remember, like last week, we talked about if you're going to, if you're suffering through your deconstruction, you need to first understand that you need to own your faith. This can't be an inherited faith, something that your mom and dad gave you, something that your friend goes to church so you think you're going to believe now too. Friends, if you don't own it, if you don't live in your faith, if you don't unpack the boxes for yourself, as it were, if you don't understand the difference between culture and what's core, if you don't own it, it's going to be hard to thrive. So today, we're going to understand what does it look like to live there? What do the rooms in the house of faith look like? So we need to explain that. Good. So we're going to start in Joshua chapter 1, verse 5. No man shall be able to stand before you all the days of your life. This is speaking to Joshua from the Lord. Just as I was with Moses, so I will be with you. I will not leave you or forsake you. Huge theme in the Bible. Be strong and courageous, for you, that's speaking to Joshua, shall cause this people to inherit the land that I swore to their fathers to give them. Only be strong and very courageous. 
being careful to do all the law that Moses, my servant, commanded you. Do not turn from it to the right hand or to the left, that you may have good success wherever you go. This book of the law, that is God's instruction, shall not depart from your mouth, but you shall meditate on it day and night, so that you may be careful to do according to all that is written in it. For then you will make your way prosperous, and then you will have good success. Have I not commanded you? Be strong and courageous. Do not be frightened, and do not be dismayed. For the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. Dear Heavenly Father, we come before you. Man, there's people hurting here. I can feel it. And they want to know you. And it feels as though everything has been an obstacle to that. We pray as we open up your word, Lord, you would open up our eyes and our hearts and our, even our souls that you might fill us, that you might speak deeply to us through your word, which we, we surrender to, Lord. Let the words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart be acceptable in thy sight, O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. In the name of Jesus, amen. Friends, before I jump into this text, I want to just show you this book. It's called Before You Lose Your Faith, Deconstructing Doubt in the Church. It's a new book. It's a very small. It's several articles written by different women and men throughout the church. Some of them we know, like Hunter Beaumont, who was the pastor in Denver of Pastor Nate Wagner, um, these are good. These have been helpful. The reason I tell you this is this might be a resource for you. It's not going to solve every problem, and that's not the point of deconstruction, uh, but it might be a resource. I'm going to throw it right here, like after church, if you want to come find it and look at it and see it. That's great. You can order it on Amazon uh, and have it probably by tomorrow. So don't, don't let go of resources. That might be something that's helpful to you. All right, to the text. Three things I want you to see that show the character of faith, because it's very important. Now, faith is to wholly trust in God. In the American church or in the Western church, we think faith means something that we really hope happens. In the biblical account, they use faith in a different way. It's a certainty. It's something that you can hold on to. It's not something that you just hope happens. So we want to understand the character of faith that we are living in. So the first thing that we'll see from the text is that faith acts on God's promise. It's not just enough to understand the facts that matters. It's not just enough to have an intellectual assent and say, I believe that that matters. You actually have to act, let your life be shaped by the promise of God. So faith, first and foremost, if you're going to own it, acts on God's promise. Secondly, we want to understand the concept of influence, which we see in the word meditation, and understand this. Secondly, faith is fed through influence. What feeds your faith? Well, it's whatever you're allowing to influence you. Well, I'm at church, aren't I? Maybe, but I've gone to church before where it wasn't really what was the primary thing that was influencing me. So faith feeds on influence, and lastly, faith expels fear. Fear is one of the most common emotions that you're ever going to experience in your life. It's prolific. It's all over the Bible. The Bible says somewhere in the neighborhood of 365 times, don't fear. That's a lot. So it's not that fearing is the sin because you're called to fear God. The fact is you're going to 
fear a lot. How that interacts with faith is how you see God. So let's walk through those things together. First, faith acts on God's promise. Like I said, the first five of these books are all about God's promise. And Joshua is called to lead Israel into taking the land, taking the promised land. And it was not empty. There were people there. There were civilizations there. And God was going to use them to both judge them and evacuate them. This is dangerous. Please don't imagine that if you act in faith, it's safe. There's no promise of that in the Bible. The promise that God gives Joshua is, you ain't going in alone. I'm going with you. So don't misunderstand. That in and of itself can cause someone to wonder if they even believe in God anymore. I did, I've done everything right. I've tried to be good. And here I am, and it seems as though God has allowing me to suffer and punishing me for doing right. Right? It, 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 it does feel like that from time to time. And look at Jesus, the ultimate punishment for doing right. Yes? And so we follow him. So don't, don't be shocked by that. So I want, to see, I want you to see something. This kind of blew me away. I'm getting off a rabbit trail here. Um, it says, be strong and courageous, for you shall cause this people, verse 6, to inherit the land that I swore to their fathers to give them. Pick up on that. He's telling Joshua, you're going to cause this people to inherit the land. Your actions, your leadership that I gave them. Do you see the beautiful circle that that draws around God's sovereignty or control and your agency? Did you know that God's sovereignty, especially in this verse, works through your agency and your choices? See, we've been taught that we can't have both. Either God is free or I am free. What if your freedom actually depends on the freedom of God? He's telling Joshua, you're going to cause them to inherit it, but I, I, I'm giving it to them. So God's sovereignty, his divine purposes, his plan, if you will, works out through the faith of Joshua, who's willing to take this ragtag nation across the Jordan into contested areas. So God's sovereignty especially works out through your agency, through your volitional choices. Maybe one of the reasons God sees distant or abstract is because you back off from that. I'm not going to act until I see God move. It never works that way, friend. If you want to experience the ocean, you got to jump in. You can't stand on the shore forever. So God fights for Israel, we see especially in this text. When they're strong and when they're courageous and when they wholly trust in him. Right? God is going to stay abstract to you if you always run when there's a pain or when there's suffering or when there's fear. You can't experience the power and the glory of being in relationship with God, power and glory of the cross, if you will not stay put when it gets difficult. So faith acts on God's promise. God wants to show you his strength. And that's the second thing we need to understand, strength. Because the text commands Joshua to be strong. So this is kind of weird, especially as a Christian. 
Are we supposed to be meek and mild? Are we supposed to be strong? Are, are they in conflict? Because it seems to me that strength is so required of Joshua because he says it three times that if he doesn't operate in strength in his calling, there's no chance of this going well. We have to understand it in the context of this passage. Strength does not mean go find a way to win. I got you this far. I think you can take it from here. Strength means dependence. Be strong and courageous, 100%. So the strength that God is requiring of Joshua, the strength that God is requiring of you, is that you will act on his promises and that you will learn how to depend on him. You're like, yeah, I think I knew that. Do you? Because you know what I taught my kids? Maturity means you're independent. You have self-government. You learn how to put on your socks before school. You do your homework without me begging you. You learn how to grow up into an adult. Get through school. Get a job. Do all this stuff. Learn how to be a mature, independent adult. That's good. Yes? Amen? Okay. And spiritual maturity is the same way, right? You got to learn how to be a Christian. You have to learn the Bible. You have to be better than other people. You have to learn how to produce. You have to take faith and make it your own and be independent of God. People are like, uh, what? No, it's false. Your faith and spiritual maturity and being strong necessarily depends on you depending on God. How else are you going to act on his promises? They're hard. How else are you going to walk the life that God has put you on? Because the promise to Joshua is he'll be prosperous. It's not about money. It's that whatever road you're on, God will give you what you need to get through it faithfully. So strength, friend, is all about dependence. There's a book I'm reading. It's called On the Road with St. Augustine by J.K.A. Smith. Great book. And one of, he talks about dependence. We, we hate it. I don't want to feel like I'm a visitor here. I don't want to depend on anybody. He says, ironically, it's dependence which is the solution, not independence. Right? A, a, a condition of creaturehood is that you will be dependent for everything on the living God. Every breath you take. God wants you to depend on him, especially in faith. So faith acts on God's promises. You've got to be dependent on him. You've got to learn how to trust in him in the moment, Monday through Saturday. Secondly, faith isn't just acting on God's promise. Faith is fed through influence. Here's what I mean by this. We're going to talk about meditation a little bit. Um, you guys know what Netflix is, Right? True story. I remember when my brother, this was a long time ago, he's like, Have you, are you on Netflix? And I'm like, no, what's that? He goes, they send you DVDs, as many as you want. I'm like, you're lying. And he sent me one. He's like, they just sent me this. I sent it to you. See, this is how this works. And so, yeah, this was a long time ago. But now it's a streaming service, and <laughs> I know it. It was so fun. Um, Reed, but it's all about influence. See, the CEO of Reed Hastings of Netflix, and it's, he said something that's very hilarious, and it's very true. 
he was asked, what's your biggest competition out there? Disney, Hulu, what, what, what is it? He's like, sleep. Because our biggest competition is that you people sleep. And he wasn't joking. He's like, we've got you. We've made binge watching a sport. We put you in control of the media. Our biggest competitor is sleep. I'm going to start saying that about Portico. You know what our biggest competition of reading the Bible is? People have to sleep. You are being influenced all of the time. You know when spiritual formation happens? Like Reed Hastings would say, when you're awake. Whatever you influence yourself with is what's forming you, right? So you have to remember that. 90% of us binge watch. Well, is that a sin? I, I don't know. Probably not. I mean, you've got that little thing, right? Are you still watching? I get that sometimes. It's like, I feel a little judged. <laughs> they basically wonder if you're dead, right? <laughs> you've been doing this for three days straight. Where are you? They don't do that so much anymore, but what you'll get on your phone is like you get a little flag. Hey, Coco Melon just dropped another season. Don't you, why aren't you watching? They're pulling you back in so that you would be influenced. Friends, you're starving your faith. Joshua and Psalm 1 have a lot in common because it says to meditate on the law day and night. If you're going to be strong and courageous, you have to check what's influencing you. You know how Psalm 1 goes, right? Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked. You know what's influencing you. Nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers, but his delight... His delight, he, he joys in this, is in the law of the Lord, is in his instruction, and on it he meditates day and night. It becomes the filter upon which you understand even yourself. And how much more is that great? Because God loves you. If the Bible is just a bunch of rules to teach you how to live there in which God would accept you, then yeah, that would be awful. But the Bible is what God has done to win you and to secure you and to give you hope, to give you himself. So faith feeds on influence. So meditation is this. It is you putting yourself under the influence of God's words. Do you understand that? You using your agency and your freedom, dare I say it, in God's sovereignty, got to hold this intention, to put your mind under the influence of God's word. It's really good. Like, well, I've tried that. Have you? Because we can help you read the Bible. Remember, we learned last week, sometimes there's things in the Bible that I don't want to do. It's not, it's not just about the evidence, is it? My heart is in it. So, influence yourself with God's word. It's not just information. Hebrews 4.12, it's living, it's active. It takes up residence in your life. It seeks to shape you and help you understand under the power of the Spirit of God who God is and who you are, understanding that, what it means to be loved by God. It will change your life. I'm trying to memorize scripture now, and the more I read it, the more I write it, the more it changes how I think. This makes sense. This is how God has made your brain. Have you ever heard of neuroplasticity? 
They've done a lot of research on it, and of late, they have this thing called experience-dependent neuroplasticity. God has made this really easy for you to be influenced by him. The idea of neuroplasticity is that your brain is plastic. It's moldable. You can actually change the shape of your brain. You have like, what, 100 billion neurons? Is that right? Any other scientists in here? And they don't always fire at the same time because your brain is very efficient. It only fires what's needed, depending on what you're learning or what you're experiencing. And what they found through neuroplasticity is that the more you have an experience, this, these neurons line up, make pathways for you to have that experience, be it very good or very bad. So the more you put your mind under the influence of God's word instead of your feed, it changes neural pathways such that you can actually enjoy it better and understand it more. God has created your brain so that it's shaped by what you put in it. So be careful what you put in it. Friends, you are 100% responsible for this. It's not my job. It's not your community group leader's job. It's not your mom and dad's job. You are responsible 100% for curating your mind and your thought process and what you put into it. Right? Faith feeds on influence. You're being influenced all the time. So it acts on God's promise. It feeds on influence. And also, faith expels fear. This is good. I hate fear. Like, if you were to say, what's your thing? I fear you. I'm afraid of you. I'm afraid of what you think of me. And if I can control what you think of me, it feels like heaven. Now, Scripture would call it idolatry because I put a good desire and made it a God thing. So I know fear. Maybe you're afraid of poverty. Maybe you're afraid of the way you look. Maybe you're afraid of not getting a good job. Maybe you're afraid of not getting married. Maybe you're afraid you'll have to be married for the rest of your life. I don't know what your fear is, but you're going to have to learn how faith interacts. Faith expels fear. All right. The fact that this verse says not just strong and meditation, but courage three times matters. Faith requires Courage, and it's framed in the negative, right? It's the first time it's, it says, have I not commanded you be strong and courageous? So it's not what you do. It's not acting on God's promise. It's not meditation and doing what he's called you to do. It's do not be frightened. Do not be dismayed, for the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. So what's the for there for? It's because don't be afraid. Don't, don't let your life be ruined by every fear that you experience. Why, God? Because I'm in it with you. I'm with you. That's the therefore. If Joshua were to have to say, well, why? Why shouldn't I be overwhelmed by the fact that the Philistines don't seem like they're going anywhere? Oh, because I'm going with you. But, but I have so many questions. Just let's go. You don't get to understand until you act in faith and walk with me in this. So courage, first of all, it assumes the threat. Faith expels fear, yes, but courage, you should just understand there's going to be threats in your life. And most of those threats are going to take aim at your faith and how you understand God. And the threat is not a joke, it's real. And it's dangerous. Taking possession of the land was dangerous. And it was more than they had to give. And you know the story of Israel, right? They're in Egypt, they're slaves, and they call out to God, and God hears them, 
and they ran from Egypt. It's really easy to run from an oppressor. It's easy to follow Jesus in that. But now, a few decades later, they're at the edge of the promised land. I'm like, oh, this is going to be more than what we have to give. I don't see you like, you know, parting water and all that stuff now, so I'm just going to hang back and watch. If you believe that what God has called you to do, the path that God has put you on, is takes more than what you have to give, you are absolutely right. And if you haven't figured that out now, embrace it. You've got to learn how to depend on God, on his people, on his word, on the means of grace. Or else you're going to spend your life, no, you're going to waste your life being afraid. You will experience pain and loss. Faith expels fear. Let's define courage. Courage is the ability to function in the face of fear. Think about the things you're really afraid of. Can you function in them? I know I've been taught, and I believe it, and so I struggle to walk in it, but I know that if God, I know that if I put more weight on God's opinion of me, then I'm not so worried when you don't like me. If God's smile is on me, I can take the frown from everyone. So courage is the ability to function in the face of fear. The kind of courage that this scripture is talking about can only come when you are settled in Christ, when you are settled in God. So what's panic then? Well, panic is the inability to see through fear. Now, I used to teach people how to fly, and one of the things we had to teach them is how to handle panic. You want to know why? Because it causes significant cognitive decay. You cannot, you make horrible decisions when you're panicking. You cannot think straight. Your logic circuits don't work. And so imagine a pilot who's panicking. The outcome is never good. And it was so silly. I mean, you, you would get somebody in some into a situation like as training is more than what they were used to. And if they panicked, you could always tell because they stopped talking. You ask them a simple question. Hey, what's your altitude? <sighs> I don't know, man. I'm like, well, look at the altimeter. See, the little hand is on the zero. I don't know. You, you can't even interpret basic data. Panic is, is debilitating. And if you've ever had a panic episode, you know it's very physiological. So panic is the absolute inability to see through fear. So how did we teach pilots to handle that? You gotta, you gotta keep your eyes on the prize. Well, I'm in the middle of a thunderstorm, and I think I'm gonna die. Well, how do you not die in a thunderstorm? You get out of it. Fall back to your training. Right? We'll teach you how to work through that. Friends, courage is a great antidote to panic. Learn how to trust in God. Learn that if you fear God alone, it will eclipse every other fear and answer every other fear that you have. Well, does that mean I won't be afraid? Of course not. It's how you walk through fear. Courage is, courage is how you operate in the face of fear. You're going to be afraid. You have got to make a decision on who the Lord of your life is, that fear or the one who deserves it, God himself. Check your focus. What are you focusing on? You guys have, I got an iPhone, you know, and so they have this cool thing called focus. 
So, like, if I'm working on a sermon, I can turn on a work focus, and if you try to text me, it's like, get out of here. Why is that? Because you can't focus on more than one thing at a time. If you're focusing on the object of your fear, you can't walk in faith. God doesn't want that kind of damage in your life. I want you to learn how to trust him. Now, 1 John said some really good things, right? Perfect love casts out fear. Can we go there for just a second? Because it's really important that you understand this. And I don't think I tagged it in my Bible, so it's going to take me forever to find. Did I? Oh, man. All right. So what it says is, now we would be here for 20 minutes. What it says is that perfect love casts out fear, and that the fear is, you can check me on this, First uh, John 4, 17 through 19, and that fear is really about judgment. The base of your fear really isn't that I'm afraid of what you'll think of me. I'm afraid that I'm not enough. I'm afraid of judgment. This is why I lie. This is why people gossip, because I want to be a good person. And i got to get it from you. First John 4 tells us perfect love casts out fear because you no longer live in judgment. Christ has taken your judgment on the cross. Jesus has lived what we call a perfect life, but it's, it's better to call it a faithful life. He was faithfully perfect. He walked the road God put him on with faith at all times. Was he afraid? I'm sure he was at times. So the fact that you can trust Jesus, by faith you can receive that, means that it casts out fear. You can't Listen, you're either going to achieve your identity through what you've done, through who you know, through where you work, through what you look like, or you're going to receive your identity by trusting Jesus and receiving the love that God has for you. Let him call you a son or daughter of the living God. And you receive that by faith. You get to choose one or the other. And Scripture's telling you, if you don't choose to trust in God and receive the gift of salvation through Jesus, his work, his atonement for you, his future for you, his power for you now, then you're going to have to do it on your own. Well, I want both. That's how deconstruction works. When you try to hold on to two circles, you get torn in half. And then you wonder what you believe. Let's land this. Friends, do you believe you'll see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living, as David says? Do you have a heart that can find courage in the living God no matter what? Are you willing to wait? Here's what I'll tell you. If you're not seeing God in your life, it may be because you haven't learned how to surrender. Seeing God requires surrender. Otherwise, you're just looking from a distance, and eventually the horizon fades away. You've got to surrender your life to him completely. Faith acts on God's promise, so maybe you need to surrender the will. Maybe you need to surrender the outcome. Check your fear. What are you afraid of? Maybe you need to surrender your feed. Maybe even influencing your life through your news feed or through people that are not helping you. 
and you've discounted the role of God the Holy Spirit and his word. Or maybe you just need to, like me, surrender my fear every day. You want to see God at work, you're going to need to surrender the whole thing. That's his call. He's trustworthy, friend. He's the only one who is. And he's proved it. Jesus proved it through his active love. He didn't just say, I love you. I love you, I love you. He came down and showed it. He gave up what's ultimate to secure the object of his affection. That's you. Give him everything. Heavenly Father, we thank you and we praise you. Lord, these are hard words, but they are so life-giving. You love us. You have proven that. You have paid the ultimate price that we might truly know you and learn how to walk the dangerous road ahead in total trust, even though we fear, obeying you, even though it's difficult, being fed by you through your word and by your spirit, even though it doesn't always seem like that's what we want to eat, and learning how to transition fear into courage because you hold on to us. Make that more real to us, Lord Jesus, we pray. Amen.